0: Over a decade ago, the Advent Conspiracy started with a bunch of churches coming together, and they built a well, and they told more about it, and more churches jumped in. And I think we were actually one of those early churches. I don't know if we were one of the first churches, but we have been a part of the Advent Conspiracy for a very long time. And unfortunately, we had to take last year off just because COVID. we um, just playing everything on COVID. Um, so we came back, but we wanted to do it differently, and as I and I, this is me, right? I came in and we, I just said, we're not doing anything lo- like we used to. I'm gonna flip everything on its head because new perspective, new approach is all good. So if you're wondering where the water bottles are, we we'll talk about that later. I'm just gonna leave you in suspense. You have to stay tuned in for the whole thing in order to find out where are the water bottles. And no, they're not just late. There is a plan with them. Um, before we get too far, um, I want to share, I want to bestow a little piece of knowledge that I learned this week. Some of you probably already knew this, and you're going to give me this look of disappointment, like, really, Matt? You didn't know that? No, I did not. And I thought I had dis- I hit the jackpot of useless information. But um, I told this to someone else, Share this with someone in the church, and they just gave me that, oh, you're one of those. I'm so sorry. Like, Really? Everyone knew this? So tape measures. How many people when it comes to a tape measure do the whole like bend approach when you get to a corner? Everybody? Okay? How many people knew on the side of the tape measure? It tells you how big the tape measure is. Yeah, okay. I'm the only one. So so when you butt up against the wall. you look, it says 38, and you add three. It's 41 inches long. I didn't know that. I've been doing the whole bend in the corner guess thing for years. And you're all looking at me the same way the other person did. I'm So disappointed in you, Pastor. I know, okay? I don't get out much. I'm sorry. I thought this was the, gr- like, I've been using tape measures wrong for so long. That would have changed so many marks in school. Like, I probably would have got better measurements in my shop class. But I blame my shop teacher. He did not tell me that. Or if he did, I was not listening. It's still his fault, though. He should have been had my attention better. Anyways, my opening question is how many people have been using something the one way for a long time, only discover you've been using it wrong? And and. Yeah okay. we're we're gonna be honest about that. Okay, good. I I, I embarrass myself with my little oopsie. <laughs> Thank you for joining me in my humility of embarrassment. Um I was tra- I I had a really good another really good example and it has lost me just because the tape measure thing. Anyways, um this this happens, right? We're either your father or your mom did something one way, and they taught you to use it, and then you come along to someone who's, like, smarter or uses that thing more often, and they use it right, and you're like, oh, dad, how could you? You taught me wrong. Mom, how could you? You taught me wrong. Or somebody taught me, and it's just like, that just makes way more sense. I'm going to get way more use out of that. It's going to not cost me a finger. Like, you know, it's just, man, I've been missing out. And I want you to keep that idea in mind. How many things have you gone through life, you've used it one way, only to discover you've been doing it wrong? And I'm not saying that today's topic, you've been doing it wrong, but I want us to be open to the idea that maybe we can get more out of it. Maybe it's not so much we are doing wrong, but maybe we've just been missing out on the fullness of what we could be pulling out. And this morning... Part one of the Advent Conspiracy is this idea of worship fully. And it's so important that we get this one right. Because you go through the Advent Conspiracy material, they've now written a book about it because of all the great success that they've had about blessing people in other countries and other ministries. If you don't get the worship part right, the rest of Advent Conspiracy just starts to feel like you're going through the motions. And we lose the significance of what the Advent Conspiracy really is all about. But to help set us set the stage for worship fully, we're going to be in Luke 2. And so if you got your physical Bible, you can go there. If you don't, it's going to be on the screen. Luke 2, starting in verse 8. And as some people are turning there, I just want to encourage you, when it comes to the Christmas story, Luke is really the one that describes what is typically played out and plays. The story that we're typically told growing up or at home. Luke too has has this really outstanding account of what happened that first Christmas. And of course we throw Matthew in, because Matthew's the only one who talks about the wise men. But Luke... Luke just has this great account. So Luke 2, starting in verse 8. I encourage you after this morning to go and read Luke 1 and Luke 2 to get the fullness of what is going on. Oh. Oh, I lost my scriptures. Well, that's a good thing I opened it in my Bible. Uh Luke 2. Starting in verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. So Jesus has been born, he's laying in a manger, and we meet these shepherds. Keeping watch over their flock by night, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for they had heard and seen as it had been told them. We know this part of the story. The shepherds are out in the flock. They're out in the middle of nowhere. The pasture, watching the sheep and the angels appear and the great heavenly host declare that the Savior of the world has been born. And it all seems well and good. But we have to remember an important part of this story. Shepherds are not exactly high-class people in this day. In fact, right all throughout Israelite history, from the Egyptians to the Romans, the shepherds were looked down on They're seen basically as equal to dirt. Nobody in their right mind wanted to be a shepherd, and nobody wanted to associate with shepherds. They were dirty, they slept with the sheep, you know, some of them talked to the animals. Like, they they were just weird, and people didn't appreciate shepherds. They didn't appreciate the work that they did. And so this was, if the heavenly hosts were supposed to arrive and declare that the Savior of the world had come, shepherds were not on the hit list of people for them to visit. Shepherds, in fact, were probably the ones who found out eventually. And it's amazing how, when you consider the fact that of all the people that the, she- that the angels could have appeared to, they could have appeared to the king, they could have appeared to the high society, they could have appeared to anyone, but they appeared to the shepherds, it actually adds for those who read and look for, like, whether or not the story is credible or not, this actually adds credibility because a good author and a good historian would not make this up. Because this was not the expected course of action. These were not the people that God was supposed to speak to, and yet here they are. Not just one. A whole heavenly host appears before these shepherds and declare that the Savior of the world has appeared in Bethlehem, and you are to go and see for yourself. And so the shepherds go, abandon the sheep. I don't know if they, you know, they left the low man on the totem pole behind, like, good luck, we're going to go see if this is true. But they go. And sure enough, just as the angels describe, they find Jesus. And this is, is not... The point isn't about the shepherds. It's not about their standing in society. It's not about the fact that the angels appeared to them. It's actually more about their response. It says that they went and they saw Jesus, and what did they do? They went away glorifying and praising God. They were so stirred at the arrival of the Savior that their only response was to glorify Jesus praise and worship the god of the universe saying thank you god that this has happened and in fact as you read through luke and you read through matthew and you read through all the accounts of the christmas story every time there's a someone impacts jesus they can't help but walk away singing and praising and worshiping god Just a little bit earlier in chapter 1, Mary is visited by the angel, and she doesn't worship then, right? She's kind of in shock. I'm going to do what? To who? For what reason? Like, she's just, there's just no response other than, okay, yes, Lord, I, I will obey. And then she goes and sees her cousin, Elizabeth, who's also pregnant, and her baby leaps in the womb at Mary's presence, and at that confirmation... The, the confirmation that all the angel told Mary has happened and is true and is happening right before her very eyes, Mary breaks out into song like a Disney movie, right? Like she just breaks out singing God's praises, thanking him for the fact that she has been chosen among women to bear the Savior of the world. She, the only response to Jesus coming into the world, coming into our lives, coming into whatever He's coming into, is full, humble, reckless worship of the God on high. The question I want to ask is, what does worship look like to you? And maybe the question is better, does the Does the truth of Christmas, does the arrival and the celebration that Jesus himself stripped off his divinity, became a baby completely dependent on two human beings to get him through those early stages of life, this humble opening to the Messiah's story in a food trough, In the same way it inspires worship for the shepherds, does the story of Jesus still inspire worship within you? And maybe the important question is, what is worship? Because one of the things that we need to be careful of, and I don't need an answer. Everyone online, I typically ask a question and you give me an answer. Don't answer that question. Because I want you to think about something. I'm going to throw a few things I want you to consider into the pot before you come up with an answer for this. One of the the traps that we as a church have to be so careful, and I've been trying to be careful about it this morning, is that we don't reduce worship simply to what we do Sunday morning. Because what do we do? We go to church and you start off with the worship team. So is worship just singing? Is worship just what we do the first half? Well, no, because we talk about it being a, you know, some churches actually say that Sunday morning is their worship experience. Oh, so all Sunday morning is worship. Okay, so if worship is reduced to simply what happens between 10 and 11 on Sunday morning, we're completely missing the point of what worship really is. And even when Luke is telling the story, as the shepherds walk away, they didn't, he did not say the shepherds walked away worshiping, what did they say? The shepherds walked away praising and glorifying God. Why? Because worship is a full life act, it's not just a momentary thing that you do once a week. And, wor- and singing is part of worship, and praising is part of worship, and prayer, but gathering is part of worship. Your work is part of worship. In fact, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. Of course, it didn't pop up. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, Paul says that whether it is your eating or your drinking, didn't think of mealtime as worship, but whether you're eating or you're drinking, do everything everything to the glory of god to the honor of god even the way that we eat and we drink and we gather the way we work the way we raise our families the way we interact with one another all of these things are meant to be an act of worship before our god because Every situation, we should find a reason to just glorify and be awed of God's goodness and love poured out on us. And this whole idea of worship fully should be so much easier at the Christmas season because every Christmas tree, every piece of God, you go down Main Street, Christmas is everywhere, and we should just be so overwhelmed with praise and adoration about the fact that we are celebrating the arrival of christ to do what only christ could do to strip off divinity to live a perfect life to die in our place take our sins away so we could have uninhibited relationship with god the father this is all good news this is all good things and as we walk down main street should be just "Ah, i can't contain myself because Christ is coming, we're celebrating, this is a good season, we should just be so full of worship, but that's not what Christmas is. Christmas has been reduced to filling out the shopping list, making sure that everybody gets the perfect thing, making sure the meal is perfect. Christmas is not joyful, Christmas is not worshipful, Christmas has been reduced to something that is horribly, horribly stressful. And we have four weeks as we approach Christmas, and we're supposed to be in the season of preparation of worship and praise and looking forward to Christmas Eve when we gather for the Christmas Eve service and we celebrate the arrival of Christ into each and every one of our lives and the amazing plan and kingdom that God wants to start on earth. And yet, as I told you, we're four Sundays away from Christmas. Everyone's blood pressure went... (laughs) (laughs) In the season of worship and praise and adoration, where our hearts should be overwhelmed with joy, we get stressed and weighed down, and that should be the alarm bell that we're doing something wrong. Christmas shouldn't be stressful. It should be so amazing. We should be totally different people as we are four weeks out from celebrating the birth of Christ. But we're not. We got to go see our doctor for, you know, I need something to calm me down because I'm going to, someone's going to get something if they're not going to like it. Like, and this is what Advent Conspiracy is all about. It's not about doing a good thing for the sake of doing a good thing. It's about getting so lost and so overwhelmed in worship of our God. God doesn't need your worship. We don't, God doesn't write in the word, you know, worship me on a regular basis because I need your worship. He doesn't need your worship. We need to worship God because worshiping God puts him in the right spot. It centers him in our life. It humbles us to remind us that we are not the king. We are not in charge. We are following the one who is in charge We need to worship God. We need to get in this space where we keep God on the throne of our life where we keep God at the center of our life where God is everything and that worship is just bubbling out and just overwhelmingly coming out of us. And when we get to this point where life, every aspect of life is an act of worship, then we, you know, the next three lessons, the spend less. We don't spend less because, you know, we want to, cut back on the credit card bill, although that's a good reason to spend less. We spend less because we want to worship God with our praise, and we don't want the weight of debt, and we don't want the distractions of things, but we, want, we come at us this from this place of worship where we just want to worship God better, and we want to create an atmosphere of worship within our family better. We give more of ourselves because we actually have more of ourselves to give when God is our strength and our source and the Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is resting within us. When we're focused on Him, we give more of what really matters because we do it out of a place of worshiping God of the universe. And we love better because our hearts overwhelm with the love of God flowing through us Don't love better because we're supposed to. We love better because we can't help it when it comes out of a heart that is fully engaged in worship with God day in, day out, every single moment. And unless we get this idea of full life, every moment, every day, every thought kind of worship, then everything else we do with Advent Conspiracy, and I would say everything else we do in church simply going through the motions because it's good things that we're supposed to do instead of God things that we are called to do worship fully focus on what you're spending your time and energy this Advent is it drawing you closer to God or is it distracting you from Him Think of your plans over the next four weeks. Are your plans moving you and your marriage and your family and your heart and everything closer to God? Or is God the farthest thing from your mind as you're trying to get all of these plans put together? This is a question I want you to meditate on. I want you to write it in somewhere so that you wake up and you read it. And it's like, okay, what am I focusing my time and energy on? Because time and energy are two of the things you don't get back. They're the most important things God has given you. And so where are you putting these things? In order for us to get this idea of worship fully, Paul says this in Romans, I always say, you know it's a good message when something goes wrong. I'm not saying I'm doing good. I'm just saying that that's typically what happens. Anyways, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your, lo- your bodies, your whole self, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. When it comes to worship, I think, I don't think, I know it starts with a renewal of our mind that we get a better concept, a better grasp of what worship really is. We need that. We need a better understanding of what worship is. And it's going to change Advent conspiracy. It's going to change Christmas. It's going to change... Everything we do for God. I don't know where you jumped to, but you want to go to the, the water bottle? There we go. So I was saying, where are the water bottles? Adam, and conspiracy. Ever since we started it, if you haven't, if you weren't a part of it, you don't know what I'm talking about. The stage would be filled with water bottles, and we'd sell them for ten bucks a bottle, and all the proceeds would go towards the project. So where are the water bottles? And no, I didn't forget. My concern as I was thinking and praying, because Advent Conspiracy is actually about doing things outside of ourselves. We spend less, not so to help the bank account, although, like I said, it's a good reason, but we actually spend less on ourselves so we can give more to people who really need it. And so the water bottles were our way of raising funds to dig a well or to do some kind of a project for someone in another part of the world who desperately needed something that they couldn't do themselves. The problem is when we do something the same way over and over and over again, we get into this habit of, I bought my water bottle, I did the Advent conspiracy, back to life as normal. Back to Christmas the way we've always done it. Back to, because I checked that box, and all of a sudden this really good thing is just going through the motions. I bought my water bottle, I bought two this year because I really want to look good, or I I bought a flat this year because, but it doesn't come from a heart of worship. It doesn't come from a heart of wanting to be a part of changing Christmas and getting back to its roots. It's just going through the motions because that's what one church has always done. So there's no water bottles why because i want us to get back to what advent conspiracy is really all about advent conspiracy is all about getting back to a spot of fully worshiping it's about getting back to doing christmas the right way with our families i want us to get back to what it's getting back to a god-honoring advent season that christmas actually becomes what christmas is supposed to be about it's actually about putting christ back into christmas and so i got rid of the distraction i got rid of the motion because now the motion is gone and we have to reevaluate what advent conspiracy really means for us and i'm not saying don't do something i'm saying find something that you're passionate about We did wells. Wells are a good thing. And if you're passionate about digging wells in other countries, then find a program. I got lots that I could get you plugged into. You do it. You don't need us. But maybe it's not wells in another country. Maybe it's the Choose Life Ministry right here in our own town, right in our own backyard. We're passionate about that. So spend less on Christmas gifts and give to them. They need help. Give to the food bank. Find something. God has given each and every one of us passions and values and convictions that are unique to us, so find a cause that lines up with your values, with your convictions, something that you can get passionate about, get behind, and do wholeheartedly. Don't do it because we told you to. Do it because you actually want to do something about what's going on in our world, and this is your way of making a difference. And don't just do it and say, hey, kids, we're doing this. But invite your kids in the conversation. Invite your family in the conversation. Say, hey, this year, instead of spending whatever on Christmas, $1 trillion every year spent on Christmas, instead of blowing up the credit card on Christmas this year, let's do a couple of smaller things, and let's put the rest of that money we would have spent and do something big. Guys, what are you passionate about? What do you guys want to help with? Your kids may surprise you with what they want to do. And if they have saved, they're going to get excited about it. God calls us to this reckless generosity because everything we have is a gift from him and he gives it to us to give on to others. So practice reckless generosity in the way that connects you and connects your family to the mission that God has put you on what are you passionate about what do you want to give to and when we get to the last session the love all because that's the big one love all is about getting out and doing christmas for others tell us what you're doing share with us how are you going to love someone outside of your family this christmas i would love to hear the ideas and over the next couple of weeks we're going to post some ideas We're going to put some slides up, say, hey, this is a really good cause. If you're looking for something, check this out. And we'll do it all Advent conspiracy long, but we're not going to put everything up. So tell us what you're going to do. What's the cause you're going to get behind? What are the lives you're going to impact with your Christmas season? Give the gift that is going to make a big difference and isn't just going to get thrown in the pile and forgotten about next year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for the Advent Conspiracy. I thank you for this movement that started over a decade ago and that we get to be a part of it. And I pray, God, that you're challenging our hearts and challenging our minds to approach these next four weeks differently, approach Christmas differently. God, create in us an attitude of worship that just fully engages worship with you day in day out. Help us get lost in our worship of you God. May our lives just radiate everything from our laying down our heads to go to sleep to the meals that we eat, the way we eat our meals to the time we spend with people. God may all of it be a act of worship lifting your name above every other name. Help us, God, get focused, that the things we spend our time and energy on are drawing us closer to you, not farther away. And Father, I pray that as we, whatever we are doing, that you would put a cause on our hearts and that we would be sensitive to where you are leading us and leading our families to do what you've called us to do to impact the lives that only we can impact. Give us a cause that's going to excite us and fire us up and that we want to get involved with year after year after year and help us do Christmas in a way that puts you, Jesus, right where you are supposed to be. God, we love you. Give you all our praise and thanks. We lift your name above every other name, Jesus. Amen.